You're listening to the All In Podcast with your hosts, Shane and Blake, giving you a new perspective on the dental industry. Are you ready to go all in? Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And welcome to the All In Podcast. The podcast brings you a new perspective on the dental industry and sometimes other stuff. I'm your host, Shane McElroy, and thanks for joining me today. Listen, I told you I'd start getting more consistent with the episodes, and I did not lie. I might lie because it may not be consistent all the time, but at least two weeks in a row, you get a new episode. So yeah, there you go. Way to go, Shane. <laughs> but I'm excited about this episode today. We're, for all you nerds out there, and there's a couple in the dental community I've heard, uh, and, and all you want to be nerds, kind of like me, who don't know much about technology, and maybe you want to learn more, but you're afraid to ask questions because you're an idiot. Well, guess what? I'm going to be the idiot for you and ask a bunch of stupid questions. So that brings us to our guest today. And I've no, I, I don't even know how, remember how I met Christian, but I met him through a different connection in the network a couple of years ago. And he's kind of advanced in the dental community, really knows the tech side really well. And I'll let him kind of give you a background on him. But welcome to the podcast, Christian. Pusa Terry, what's up, brother? Thanks, Shane. How you doing, man? And by the way, it was JD Davis. Oh God, JD Davis. Oh, the one and only. That that turncoat. <laughs> He's he jumped from every country <laughs> in the world. Just went from Nobel to my old territory at Bio Horizons. I literally played a golf tournament with uh, JD Davis uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh man, that's great! You guys still live. You still live close by. Yeah, right? man. He lives. We live in a town called Peachtree yeah. City. He lives uh, a few miles away from me, and, and he hits the ball a long ways. And so I recruited him on a on a scramble team, which we do from time to time. We were thirty under in this stupid tournament and got third place. Thirty under. It's absurd. No way. Whoa. Yeah, crazy. That's competitive. Crazy, but all good. So that that's all the shout out that JD's going to get. I forgot about that. That's right. So, anyways, forget him. Let's learn more about you. Can you give the audience just like a fast forward background of who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I do today I'm doing business development um, uh, for a company called Clarinav. And I've been in the industry for about 12 years. Uh, started out doing sales. I've worked for some of the biggest names in the industry and, and then all the way down to startups and, and mid caps in between. Got to work DC market, LA market, um, you know, all, all the Southwest uh, I'm now currently in Miami. I was in New York for a few years. So just, just kind of seen a lot of the early adoption markets in this country and worked with some really great key opinion leaders. And I just think it's a really fun place to be and really exciting. And I'm just, I'm so lit up by how much technology comes to us first. And, uh, and so, yeah. So you're who you, you said Clarinav right now. And for the audience, yeah. I know what Clarinav does. When do you tell them what Clarinav does though? So they developed surgical navigation. They started doing it in neurology uh, in the '90s. Um, really small spaces, and w- when you're inside the you know the body and you're working in really small spaces, and you want to see where your drill is, for example, in real time, uh, they created the visualization software to do that and the camera tracking technology to do that. Um, and then it uh, it started once it kind of became standard of care in neurology, it started to disperse into other sectors. So it went into um, uh, spine, um, ENT, and then in around 2015, FDA approval for oral maxillofacial. Um, and so, uh, so for six years, they've been selling globally. Um, and I do business development sales. That, that's a fancy word for just sales. <laughs> uh, 
in the US. Yeah, for all um, you doctors out there that don't know, you hear business development, that's sales. <laughs> just mean sales. We're, that's all we're doing. We're just trying to get units out there and to get people to like what we do and to, and to try the technology out and see how it makes a difference. So this started in other industries, which is interesting because a lot of times you see it go the other way. Um, but it's dynamic guided surgery, right? It's it's watching a screen. It's it's prepping, planning a case ahead of time, being able to visualize on a screen what you're doing, which makes sense in a lot of other spaces in the medical industry. But we, it's it's a bit newer for dentistry. You know, obviously in the last four or five years, it's taken off a mm-hmm. lot more. Is that a correct assessment yeah, exactly. on it from a dumbass? It is. It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> I told you, Shane, people people aren't going to buy that narrative, man. There's no, you're not a dumbass. But yeah, it's, there's two core tech. There's two core components of technology. One is just a camera that is tracking what's going on. They're just looking for uh, black and white patterns. We put these black and white patterns on the patient on the handpiece, so we know where everything is. And then the actual software itself is an algorithmic software. So you have to develop both of those components. And when you put them together, you're talking about heads up, real time. Uh, navigated surgery. So yeah, in, dent- in dentistry, and I don't know who coined the term, it is called dynamic navigation. Uh, but in other, in other uh, disciplines, it's just called surgical navigation. Oh, really? So we just try to trump it up yeah. and make it sound a lot cooler in dental? Yeah, I don't know. And I was talking to my VP about that because in, in ENT and in uh, neuro, it's still called surgical navigation. Huh. It's not called dynamic. So I don't know. Wow. Somebody's, somebody branded it a certain way. They did a good job because everyone in dentistry knows it as dynamic. Yeah. Whoever the marketing person was that came up with that one, kudos to you. Kudos to you. (laughs) Um, So I've been involved in some dynamic guided cases. How has it improved? Because listen, you know, I'm going to give it to you straight and and not specifically with your system. I've seen it with other systems out there. Sometimes it's really good. And other times it just feels like it slows down the process. So what are the, you know, give it to me straight. Like what are the real benefits for somebody and, and, and what are some of the drawbacks, right? Cause I guess some of my oral surgeon yeah, buddies well, who are just like, they used a different, again, a different system where like, I could just, I could do this a lot faster on my own or just with a, a static guide. Right. Yeah. It's well, there, there's a learning curve. There was a learning curve to an intraoral scanner. Um, when that really, when those really started going gangbusters five, six years ago, doctors, you know, you didn't, not every doctor was scanning an arch in 30 seconds. Yeah, that's true. It was taken, you know, when you were new to a three, three shape, it took you three minutes to scan an arch. Now doctors are doing it in 30 seconds and they're posting all their times on Instagram and Snapchat and they're like, look how fast I did. So yeah, there's a learning curve to it. And and when doctors are figuring it out, they're not used to looking up at a screen the whole time. Yeah. They're used to looking at the patient's mouth. They're looking at the site. So you're dealing with that a little bit, but but really, if you look at where the industry is going, you know, 20 years ago, who had who had a comb beam? Every doctor was just kind of palpating, feeling it out, looking at it, and just figuring out, you know, wh- how much how much ridge height do I have? Um, what's my interproximal space? How thick is the gingiva? This was stuff that we, you know, the doctor was just pretty much going off instinct and experience. Now, if you don't use a comb beam, that that could potentially put you in more trouble if something goes wrong in the case. Then. Uh, than not using a comb beam. So the industry is trending toward more visualization. I want to see more of the patient. I want to plan better. I want to see, I want more accuracy, more clarity, more crispness in the, in the image. Um, so this is kind of dynamic navigation is like the next step in the digital workflow revolution. It's like, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and just assume that you're already going to get a diacom of this patient. Either you've got a comb beam in the house or you're going to outsource it. Which you're going to do. You're going to have to have that for any type of guide. You're going to, you're going to have to, exactly. You're going to have to have or that. So now or treatment planning it. software for the most part. I guess there's some you can do with pants, but it's not very accurate, obviously. 
Well, if you're using a treatment planning software, what what are you planning on? You're still planning on the company. No, that's what I'm saying, right? There's not really any yeah. out there that I'm aware of that you you have to have a 3D, oh, right, right. You have to have a 3D scan. Otherwise, you're just it's you know, really it's just Photoshop. It's kind of, it's, <laughs> exactly. It's a foregone conclusion that you that you're going to have to have it. So it's like, well, now import that and plan. And then once you're doing the surgery, you know, with with a static guide, you're using that comb beam to make a guide that you're just trusting day of. Um, if it doesn't deliver, um, you're screwed and it's not still not telling you where your burr is in real time. So that's the benefit of navigation is you're looking at the screen, you're looking at the diacom, you're seeing your burr overlaid on the diacom. You see exactly where you are in the patient's anatomy. Let me ask you this. Everybody assumes that it's for just like placing implants, but are there any other procedures that can be used for in the dental space? Oh my God. Cause um, yeah, yeah. Cause I've seen, um, I've seen a few, there's like Dr. Hartman. I've seen him do a lot of different cool grafting cases and things like that. But what other, ways can this kind of technology be utilized well i think that's what's that's what's helping to make it pop um there's a lot of armamentarium that you already need for implants you've got to get your kit you know your implants your drills you might have to be involved with your lab there's already a lot there once doctors realize hey this isn't just for implants we're talking about you can do saw cuts you can do apicoectomies you can do canal accesses you can do i mean we've got doctors doing there you know approval is different across the globe so we don't have approval for all these things yet in the states we got doctors doing mandibleectomies um so like you, you're you know, talking about on label versus off label right just because it, it just hasn't been tested and approved it for doesn't this have FDA approval right it'll be approved in canada for example but not here yet, gotcha right we're just waiting for some of the stuff but yeah, you're talking about well over, you know, we're, we're probably approaching a dozen different types of procedures that you can do. So what's probably the biggest um, one besides implants? Uh, in the last year, we found that a huge application is canal access, because if you're using, uh, you know, the static guide is kind of in the solution for implants and canal accesses alike huh. for the last several years. The problem is that, um, you know, it's gr the static guide is great for an implant because you can be a third of a millimeter off on an implant and, and probably still have a nice osteotomy uh, in terms of angulation or you know mesial, distal, whatever. But when you're talking about a third of a millimeter off of a canal, a canal is only a millimeter thick. I mean, you could totally still miss the yeah. canal. So even though endodontists have been using static guides to find canals, they're, they're, they're finding that this is actually way better to, to locate them because you're looking at the diacom in real time. Uh, and as long as you've got a crisp cone beam image, you can see it really well, see exactly where it is. You can plan your entry point uh, and our accuracy, you know, all the third party data so far, most of it is putting us as more accurate than static guides. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, don't you have like, all right. So what doesn't that require, require like fiduciary indicators and things like that, which, and what is that by the way? So explain it. Cause I won't be able to explain it properly. I will not explain it, Shane, because we are beyond that. Well, explain what it is until you, you know why. <laughs> How dare you? And hilariously our competitor, <laughs> the, the competitors still use those. That's one of our competitive advantages. But yeah, it's if you're taking the comb beam, um, you typically have to put in some sort of a uh, fiducial marker so the patient goes into the comb beam to take that. They go to take that picture with that in the mouth and that, that marker just helps, uh, helps, the, um, helps determine where everything is for the when you import it into the, into the software, which with XNAV is proprietary. Um, uh, we, we found a way to kind of bypass that. So we don't need a fiducial mark. Oh, really? Well, that's nice. So do you have to have any pieces in the mouth when you're doing any type of surgery? Not, not for the image taking, but yeah, for the surgery, we do have a okay. tag. We either have a, um, a, a kind of like a, a head headband with a tag on it, 
Um, or we have one that just attaches to the tooth. It's very minimal, uh, very small, and just kind of shows the black and white pattern outside the mouth. Well, that's pretty cool. I didn't actually know that. <laughs> so well done. Uh, all right. You're a tech nerd, right? You like all sorts of tech in the industry, whether it be dental and medical. Like, let's talk some of the new stuff that you either think's coming out, you know is coming out, has just come out that's kind of exciting. It doesn't have to be in the implant space at all. I do not care. But just new technology that we'll start adopting more in dentistry, even if it's already in the medical space too. We're way behind, obviously. So what are kind of like the two or three things that you think is like badass that's, that people should start paying attention to? You know what's really cool, I think, about um, – it's funny. You and I know being in dental for so long, there is a difference between dental and medical. It just seems like oh, a yeah. lot of the big money stuff. Like There's a lot more money in the, in the medical space. <laughs> right. Sure. There just is. And it's it has to do with insurance reimbursement and everything else. But, so, but even though that is true, in dental, because so much of it is it's basically all private practice-based, there is a little less regulatory. There's less gatekeepers. There's less, so we do get a lot of cool technology, and you have a lot of small companies innovating. Um, what I saw both my company do over COVID and others is um, they started training their algorithms uh, to, to to help with the treatment planning. So, like the, some of the features that we're going to have in our software soon are uh, basically identifying the jawline curve, um, which some softwares already have. But we're going to get to the point where it's um, uh, you know identifying hopefully certain aspects of the of the patient that will help eventually suggest a treatment plan for the doctor so is that through um, ai now that's ai yeah that's ai and um and where we're going to see this first is from the companies that are that either own or custody all of the data all of the patient scans yep i've, I've seen that like we talked to uh, kyle stanley in the podcast so, so, so to give you an idea like with like 2500 i think it was like 3000 scans we used to basically get RAI accurate with determining uh, occlusal plane um, within 90% accuracy. Now that's great, but 90% is nowhere where it needs to be to go to market, right? So we need to get that up around 99. Well, even though it only took about 3,000 scans to get to 90, it would take like 30,000 to get that remaining 9% accuracy. Gotcha. So you just need a lot of data. Um, and so the, so the company is sitting on the most data. They're either custodying a lot of it. Like they, they're the ones that can really build this faster. And that's what's really exciting to me because you're talking about a world where, and I'm saying, I'm thinking that we're probably 24 months away from, from seeing this, whether it's going to be Implant Studio or Simplan or who, but you're just going to start seeing a recommended treatment plan based on their, you know, their 3 million scans that they hold on their database globally. Um, and then what you'll start to see is once we figure out how fat, once, once we realize, okay, so when we start deploying algorithms to a, to a data set, um, we can get this result in this amount of time. Well, the only thing limiting us at that point is the size of the data set. And that, that basically is just a centralized server where all this data lives. Like all these scans are sitting on, uh, you know, Strauman's, uh, or they're sitting in like a care stream, like these care streams. So um, you're talking about the you know, specific scans themselves or the treatment plans built around that, like. Let's take it back real quick because a lot of people don't understand this fully, including myself, right? So when you're talking about, all right, it's going to help me treatment plan. So you have to have, you said, an enormous amount of data, but it's not just scans, right? Like you actually have to have like doctors going through and teaching the AI, like what you're supposed to do with this type of information, correct? It's not as simple as just, let's just load a bunch of shit in there and see what comes out the other end. It's a great distinction. That's a really good distinction. Yeah. So what you need at that level, at that point in the process 
is you need a scan you need someone who, who can who can annotate a scan and say this is what this is like this is the mandibular canal this is the mental foramen this is so yeah you need a doctor actually there with a software engineer or a software engineer who happens to know anatomy to start identifying these things and to, and to kind of put that in but that is that's one type of ai there's two main types of ai deep learning is where uh you input the rules. The best here, the best example for this is AlphaGo. This was this was a huge story a couple of years ago. It was the first time AI beat a human at the game Go, which is this really ancient Chinese game. Mm-hmm. And it's like a game of war, but there's a lot of strategy. And what they did was they taught they they import into the AI. Wait, and let's back that up. I think I saw something the other day on this where it's like, you know, you take chess and there's X amount of possible moves, and this is like infinitely more than that, correct? Or do I have that? Yeah, backwards? Go is you know you're right yeah go is way cool. more there's like way more moves per per yeah in a game that can happen than over gotcha chess. um so they, they taught it the rules and then they said here's a hundred thousand games played between humans study it which it did like you know in a week yep and then it was able to play well enough that it could basically beat a human well deep learning is where you don't import any human games you just teach it the rules and it plays itself a million times by lunch oh wow it just plays itself over and over and over and over and over again, and it learns rules. So that that like the first version, it took a few, it took months and months, and it was actually like it lost a game to a human. It ended up being like the nine dan champion of the world, like the world champion. It beat him, but it lost the game to him. When we when they did the deep learning version, it wasn't even. It was just that that version, that AI version beats every Go player in the world, and and the regular AI version without any trouble because at all. it's ran that many so simulations of every single type of move that could be played against it every type of situation right exactly and and it gets a little bit into like the terminator and skynet you're like oh my god because it's all it almost seems as if if you input human games it just slows it down just give it the freedom to play it itself as much as it wants knowing the rules so my point in bringing it back to dentistry is that once we can start to import some of the some of the rules like you know this is what this always is this is what that this is what the uh, the mental foramen is and this is this is what where the sinus is, and you can start having it. So this is what a defect is. Um, you know, this is a lesion. Uh, all that stuff, and just have it look at a million scans and start teaching itself, and you and you gamify it. You're talking about something that's going to be more accurate than than we could ever be, uh, and it'll generate a treatment plan for you that you can trust would be really highly accurate. The interesting thing so about that, is, though, right? Like, you need objective things to tell it, like yes or no black or white right but with dentistry oh man <laughs> there's a lot of the rules aren't as clear not even close exactly. right everybody has different exactly. definitions different rules that they apply exactly and that's why it won't happen as soon as as it did with a game like go or with chess because the rules aren't that clear yeah not every occlusal yeah exactly there's there's a lot of uh, differences. Um, yeah. Like, uh, you know, how much decay equals this and how much, you know what I'm saying? Like what are the limitations of each type of implant that you place and what is this and that is, you know, like there's just so many different variables, especially in the oral space. <laughs> it gets crazy. How do you teach an occlusion? True. Right? Like that's, that's crazy. Exactly. And is it static or is it dynamic? Does it take the bite in multiple different positions? Like it's based on the information it has. So, I mean, for that, that's that's an insane amount of data, right, for it to learn. And we don't even it's, have all that data. And so, and that, you know, before we before we took a step back, that's kind of where I was going was to say that, um, uh, you know, it will take, obviously it's going to take a lot of time, but the only thing holding us back 
is going to be the amount of scans that we can train the algorithms on. So once you have a huge database, so like one company that has a huge database and is going to achieve this really great thing where forget about occlusal planes. They're, they're not only are they doing that, not only are they, are they recommending treatment plans, but like they now have been doing it for a few years and they're like 99.999% uh, successful, you know, outcomes, less invasive, all this stuff. You're going to go, wow, the only thing holding us back now is that we just, if we could feed this thing more scans, if we had access to more data. So that here's the problem with that. Healthcare, all the data in healthcare lives in silos. Yep. So that this is the next big um this is the this is the the next frontier for healthcare. Healthcare we already know has has a ton of inefficiencies. It's ripe for change, but the big thing that's going to happen that we're going to see, I think, uh, and it's already happening. You've got a lot of companies working on it. Is how do we release this information and get it out there so we can start training algorithms on it? Because you've got HIPAA. It's not like it's not like finance or manufacturing where there's like this. We have we have a huge oversight. We've got a lot of policy, a lot of regulation to protect rightfully to protect patients. But if we can figure out, and there's already some really smart computer scientists figuring it out with things like zero trust protocols and stuff like what that. What is that? Once I have no can, idea what that is, by the way. So, 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 so zero trust type stuff would be. Um, so imagine that you go you go to your dentist, uh, and you're you know you always have to fill out that sheet. You know you yep. got to fill out your patient data. When you go to any office, ophthalmologist, general practitioner, um, uh, you're filling out this information, a few sheets, and a waiver, and all that. Um, and then, you know, all that information now gets either stored as a paper or gets turned digital in that particular office's uh, database. So that's the silo I'm talking about. It just lives there. Yeah, it's not all um, interconnected. It's not that? interconnected. Like, we don't have a medical system that allows for that right now. Like, that's why you have people dying exactly. of drug overdoses and not, or, like, mixed medications because one doctor over here is prescribing this medication, one doctor here, and they didn't communicate at all, that's a, right? It's a huge And you problem. can't trust the patient to know that. <laughs> and a lot of times they don't yeah, know. Of so that's a whole issue in and of itself is the accuracy of this information and how do we verify it. But zero trust would mean, so instead of you filling out those papers at your doctor's office, um, you have all of your data basically in an app or in a couple of apps on your phone and you can flick it to the office uh, and they don't actually take any of your data on their server. There's a digital handshake that happens without the, sh without the sending or receiving of information. They just go check, check, check. So all they need to know basically is that you don't have a history of X, Y, Z and that you don't, that you're not a blah, blah, blah. You're not a smoker. You're not on drugs. Like they just need to know a few things. Like they don't need to know your eye color or your God, That would be so they helpful across right? all they medical and dental and every other, you know what I mean? Right. So it just gets efficient with what information gets shared and it's not even putting that information on that server. So it's, it's making you more secure because hacks are happening all the time. It's a very easy thing to do. So we're avoiding the risk of your information being hacked from that dentist office. Um, but we're also making it, uh, putting kind of the control into your hands because you decide what people say. I mean, okay, let's talk about this. Though. That's very interesting to me. Uh, so what's preventing that though from, from moving forward? Because otherwise you'd basically have to make it government run, which it, you don't really want the government to know all your medical history anyways. That's probably bad precedent to even look at that side of it, right? <laughs> like that's not good. Uh, you don't want that. No, a way, the, the difficulty now is how do you make it HIPAA compliant um, while also preserving um, the ownership to where the current laws assign ownership. So that right should now, be the patient's you know, ownership of it, right? Like it, partially, well, actually right now in the current laws, the patient doesn't really own any of it. Uh, if a doctor, so in the, in the example of images, the doctor that takes your image actually owns your image because he bought the capital equipment that took your image. So he, he owns your diagram. Gotcha. Uh, the company who manufactured that, for example, Vatec, Carestream, Instrumentarium, 
whatever you want, you know, whatever the yeah, CBCT yeah. is, they're allowed to custody it. So they can custody it. They don't own it, but they can like use it for their own sure. research purposes. Or if they're developing their own AI, they can ask the doctor to share it and they can, or they can, you know, a lot of times they're going to custody it because maybe they're helping the doctor treatment plan, whatever. But right now the doctor's the owner. Now those laws might change. Like Google is working on, there's like a Google AI task force and they're working on some of this stuff. Um, it's kind of blockchain combined with AI. And we're see, they're seeing what they can do because the potential is so exciting. Well, yeah, because if so you could combine all that, that data world. across all industries, and in you know, when it comes to the medical space, because the only way I could see it being centralized efficiently right now is through the insurance companies, and that's probably not a great ma- methodology either, to be honest with you. Right? right? Like, because right. they always have our right. best interest in mind, right? Like, and there, <laughs> exactly. therein lies the issue: who's got the who's got the amount of money to be able to pull this thing off, and then also they're going to want to profit massively from it which makes sense i mean i understand that but like right now i only see like maybe some tech companies maybe some insurance companies and the, and the insurance companies already have the access to you know these huge databases of their own clients already um on the tech side then you have the the issue of like trying to break into the space and get access to those people at scale right like so there seems like a lot of barriers to that ever coming to fruition especially here in the u.s you're right no you're really right i mean the payers are a huge hurdle Trying to get payers on board is obviously the big hurdle, and they've got a ton of information, and you've got to make it worth their time. Yeah, because I can't see the average person wanting to pay X amount of dollars, even if it's a dollar, to do this. I, I, I mean, being honest, like it sounds great. Like I would do it. I know that my wife would do it for her mother. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it makes so much sense. But I know the average person is probably just not going to do it unless it's free, right? And the only way it's free yep. is if you're the uh, product, <laughs> which means somebody's getting your data exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. So, like I said, there are companies working on it. There's a lot of promise there. I think it's exceptionally exciting. So, solve um, the problem for me, real quick, Christian. Solve the, that massive, massive problem in two seconds. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Did you think you had Elon Musk on the show today, dude? This is this is. Oh uh, no! I no, mean, uh, 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 I, <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> much more. I can't stutter. That. I can't. I don't know how anybody can stutter that much and still be a genius and sound that. I smart. think what he he's doing genius. is trying to break it down for <laughs> these simple apes, including myself, to understand. Right? Like, <laughs> I think that's what he's doing. He he makes me feel good at the beginning of a talk because like this guy's stuttering like crazy, and then after two minutes, he just blew my mind. Yeah, and also but, the um, world's ending, or I'm saving it, or we're moving to Mars, or some crazy shit. <laughs> and. uh I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the, I guess the answer would be, you know, so there's, there are some really cool companies working on this. There's a company called, um, uh, burst IQ out of Denver. That's, uh, got some pretty big contracts and they're trying to, they're trying to build what I just said. They're trying to, they're trying to kind of de-silo health information, um, from electronic medical records and kind of get it in places where you might be able to a empower patients, um, and then B start, start developing AI in a more applicable user-friendly outcome increasing health outcome increasing way dude that's pretty cool like i didn't think about the data sets and all that like i mean because like i knew some of this information but now that we're talking like actually really thinking it through like how complex and how much of an issue can be that like we could really solve some massive issues we could stop because i mean listen if you go in the er if you go into a lot of places most of the time most of the errors come from like especially with like pharmacology stuff that's coming from humans. That's the error, right? right. So if we could solve this issue and I think, and I always, I keep going to the pharma side because that seems to be, you know, a major issue, right? 
mixing medications and there's so many different reactions you can have by, you know, taking multiple medications that alone, it could solve so many problems because there's apps right now where you have, you guys probably don't know this, but I've seen it in the hospital setting where they're, they're putting in the medications to humans are to put it into an app to double check that the thing I'm prescribing won't kill this person mixed with this medication. Cause they, how could they know oh, it all? Wow. Right. Yeah. So if you could have that in automated, you already know all the patient's information, or if you could upload like the results from all their blood work and this and that and that, and it can predictively say, Hey, you're, I know they're working on this too, but, uh, cause I saw this from a, a different doctor I talked to where you could enter all your information and it's predictive of like, what's your highest risk for based on all this data sets that you were talking about before. Like, okay, I am, uh, I've got high cholesterol and I've got X, I've got, you know, diabetes runs in my family and uh, a billion different things. Okay. You're more likely to die from X, Y, and Z, or these foods and these enzymes and these proteins that would actually help you. Like even from a dietary standpoint, it can predict what's best for you to prevent you from going down a negative health path. And and I think what you're talking about is, a, is the personalized health. Yes. That's, that's the personalized health revolution, like personalized, customizable to each single person. And I think, you know, again, getting back to, um, getting this information out of silos. The only way to really effectively, you, first of all, you have to get verified information. You can't have people like going into a, a, an emergency care room or going to a doctor when they're already sick, they're probably already on medication. They're filling out health information on the sheet. You know, it's can't remember if, what my, if my aunt had non-Hodgkin's, I think she did like, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of this family history information you're filling in, it's not always accurate. So yeah, there's gotta be a way to verify it. And for everyone to kind of have a way to operate it. Like that's the next killer app, I think, too. Like talk about a killer oh, app. Oh, yeah. Or giving permission to connect things. to family members because you may not know all their health history or things they've gone through, but like and maybe they don't want you to see access to it, but allow the information to say of these things privately, which you they have, right? Like that would be kind if of crazy. Ancestry, ancestry is, or not Ancestry, the other one that's going public is um, 23 Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's uh, the, the CEO of that, uh, Wozniak is, um, uh, I think it's Larry Brennan, Larry, Sergio Brennan or Larry Page's wife, whatever, but she knows all this, which is like, you know, it's all about, it's the data game. You want to try to get people to give you as much data as possible. What she's alluded to wanting to do, because that's just a genealogy site, like ancestry.com. But yeah. imagine if you started up or at least sharing some of your health data with a 23andMe or or ancestry. So not only does it connect you with all of your cousins across the world, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth cousins, which it already yep. does. It'll tell you if you've got, but now it'll say, Hey, listen, by the way, your third cousin also had a malignant tumor uh, before 50. And let's start looking at what DNA you share. And let's start looking at like, imagine how helpful that would be. It's terrifying um, and helpful, right? Because then you give so much power to one right, entity, right. right? So it freaks me out. And yeah. it also is super cool. It's true. It's, and that's the problem is that we're never going to get this stuff approved um, in the public sector. No. If, if we don't start talking about the technology that makes it. Yeah. You, it's like, who, what do you do? You, you don't do it with the government, right? Because that's a, that has inherent issues. And you have the private sector, which is inherently selfish, right? Like they're there to right. make a profit. So it becomes this game of like, you just need like a benevolent, massively rich person that you trust, right? Like, like, okay, let's say Bill Gates, but now you have all these conspiracy theories with Bill Gates, or do you go to Elon Musk, who's either the savior of the world or the ender of it? We don't know yet. Or, you know, like there's only a handful of people who could pull that off, right? At the end of the day, even if it's, even if it's a decentralized protocol that's, that's kind of running the system, there still usually is a headquarters somewhere. Yeah. And you can always go knock on the door and find the person in charge. And that is kind of, the, I mean, on one, and on one hand, we, 
you know, the, the public sector won't probably approve anything that doesn't have a, a board of executives sure. and officers. Um, but there is, a, you know, we do know that through decentralized protocols, you can build it. It's a matter of well, who's responsible for it. All right. So besides so, AI, because I think we could go down this rabbit hole and we don't have enough time for that, right? <laughs> what other technology do you think? Let's get be specific to dentistry since that's most of the people listen to the podcast. Any other technologies that you're like really bullish on? Um, I really, you know, I, I, I work where I work because I think that heads up surgery, uh, real time navigation, uh, I just think is the way to go. Once you've done it, it's, it's addicting. Um, to get to your point earlier, I do think some oral surgeons, uh, who have just become very quick over a 20 or 30 year career with their hands and have very adept surgical hands, um, are, are hesitant toward putting something that seems to be like a barrier between them and their work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think you were absolutely you hit that on the head, but I think over time it'll get adopted so, because when you can look at the site in person and then also look at the 3d, you just, you have two forms, two ways to look at what you're doing. I just think that's such a value. It's so cool to me. I mean, being in those, well, it's, it's those in cases, a way it's, it's like a step between that and augmented reality, right? Like it's, it's like the next epic set would be augmented yeah. reality where you don't even have to look at the screen. You could have your glasses on, which they've tried, but it's been more of a novelty so far. Right. It has, there's a lag they can't get over. Yeah. Our, our company worked with, with uh, an augmented reality company and there's, there's augmetics and augmetics has done some like real, like they're in surgical operatories with, with their stuff, but it's a lot, you know, you got to wear an extra headset. Yep. It's not super comfy. Um, God forbid that there ever is a lag for whatever reason or, power goes out you got to find a few ways to make it a little more fail proof I'm not, I'm not as i'm not as stoked about about well there's augmented uh, reality right and then then you have i mean obviously there i would consider them competitors in your space you have the yomi robot right so it's it's a ro it's a little cross prohibitive right now right but what do you see as like the next evolution of what you're doing dynamic because i i categorize that very similarly Right, because you still have to push the handpiece and everything, but essentially it's it's very similar, right? One is just more mechanically uh, based, right, as opposed to user based, right? Their robot, right? You're still pushing the handpiece, which you're probably like me. You're like, well, that's not really a robot, but it's getting there. Sure. Um, we might, we may or may not have a robot in the works at some point. I can't fully. Yeah, you probably can't disclose that. I mean, you could, but like people or companies. <laughs> I, I could, I think, I think I can say that we may or may not have something in there, but I'll say that that is exciting. Um, the barrier there, Shane is, and, and Yomi proved this, so many doctors don't even want to engage in a technology that even hints at replacing their hand. Sure. At some point, um, that was a lot of the market feedback. Yes. They've sold units. Yes. There's a lot of buzz around Yomi. It is an exciting technology. It obviously, I mean, their predecessor was the Da Vinci, which is doing, I think, 12 or 13 procedures now. They're doing mm -hmm. hernias and, and uh, floor repair. But um, to me, that, that's less exciting just because I, working in the market as long as I have and knowing as many providers as I know. Well, yeah, I would imagine the provider thinks it devalues their skill set, which they're yeah. not wrong. Yeah, I don't. Whether or not they're wrong, I just think that it pushing as a salesperson that would have to push that and as a marketing team and as a, a group of engineers trying to push through that muck and get that technology to market when you've got that much um, psychological resistance, to me, that kind of makes it more, more of a burden than, than fun. 
All right. Well, um, what would be the, the the only thing I'll disagree with you here is in not in dental at all, right? In the dental space, I'm kind of like I don't really know. I don't really know how I feel yeah. fully. I see both sides of it, but I could see a scenario where you have like um, the best brain surgeon in the world. I think they're already doing some of this stuff, mm. like in one side of the world, and you have this baby who needs brain surgery over here or heart surgery or something, and they're just you know this this is the the man or woman in the field who's just that's the only person who can do it theoretically if the bandwidth was, you know, good enough, right? Um, if, if what, is, what are we on now? Like, was it 5G? Maybe it's 6G technology, whatever it is. That right, like, right, right. there's literally no gap in time. Maybe it's it's this uh, Neuralink stuff that, that uh, Elon Musk is working on, but where you could do the yeah. surgery, um, you know, virtually where the robot's actually doing it on the patient from across the world, theoretically, right? Oh, they have that. Well, no, they have that. They have that in, uh, in, uh, Beta right now. At USD, at, uh, University of San Diego Telemedic- Telemedicine Center um, I was in San Diego. So I think it's just south of La Jolla or in La Jolla. Um, they've got a Da Vinci robot that's a port to a sister robot in Africa. Oh, wow. And um, the doctor puts his hands into these gloves that go into a little, uh, like a little nook, and he's operating inside and he's seeing a display of what the port, the, the, the teleporting port is sending him. And he's doing. The surgeon. Now, last I checked, which was a few years ago, there was still a three-second lag time, which is so an, it, an infinite it, lag time in certain situations. Not going to work. Not going to work yet. But I don't know where they are today. I mean, they might. They're. That's to your point. Six G will probably. Holy solve crap! That. That'd be awesome. You know what's interesting about that, bro? Do you play video games at all? I don't anymore. But that's only. Really I used to. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's funny that you know all the parents are saying, "Oh, video games are rot your brain." But in theory, if you had a medical degree and you were great at playing a video games. That's basically where things are headed. That's where surgery is going. How funny is that? You're absolutely like right. 100%, right? <laughs> You're 100% right. Well, like yeah. if you look at the control systems now that they're using for drones and stuff, it looks like an Xbox controller. Exactly. I saw that. They built it be- They that. built it that way because people were used to using that, especially the age range. And they're using younger people because they're better with it, right? It, their their yeah. hands just it's, naturally it's more. It's more. It's more intuitive for them. Of course. Yeah. All right. That's where we got to get to. All right. Now we got to create a video game for dental. Right. That's actually fun to play. Right. And then we'll figure it all out, man. <laughs> right. All right. We're about to wrap this, but uh, yeah. let's do something a little different now. Besides just the technology side, what's what's your passion outside of dentistry and technology? Throwing you off here. I didn't know um, I was asking this one. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Like outside of work. In general, hey, what do you like to do? Outside of professional <laughs> or just. What's that? I really, man, in the last. In, oh, did I, am I still here? Did yeah, I cut you're out? good. Um, you know, I man, I, I really, as I, as I've gotten older, I suppose, uh, I, I feel so lucky that we have so much information basically available. Like I got, I got a YouTube premium membership nice, and I get to listen to some of the most, the coolest content. Like you can listen to Peter Thiel talking at the, you know, the, um, the New York economist club, like these, these like clubs that, you know, guys like me wouldn't have been able to, to listen percent really nerd over here, folks. Love it. I'm telling you, man, like I love doing that. I love just just listening to uh, some of the brightest minds talk about where we're going and stuff. You know, it's just really spent a lot of time doing that these days. All right. What's the last thing you want to leave with the audience here? So I think, Oh man, be excited, be excited and ask your, if you're a doctor, talk to your reps and ask them questions about what their companies are developing. Cause here's, what's true. Everybody in COVID was hibernating and waiting to come out and they were figuring out their next move professionally or, 
or technologically, if they're an engineer or, I mean, everybody's been, so just like talk, ask questions, see what your company's been working at, working on, what they, what their R and D department's coming up with, uh, and ask people what they're excited about. It's, it's going to be full velocity. I think this summer, I'm just so excited about the rest of the year. Dude, cool nerd over here, guys. He is excited about technology. <laughs> He's got me excited about it too. And I'm a nerd, but for so many other reasons. <laughs> but guys, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next All In Podcast. Thanks, Chris. You appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Shane. Later, man. Thanks for listening to the All In Podcast. See you next time.